I really want to get serious here. So obviously, you know, this year has been been super eye opening for all the stuff we've seen this year, you know, with social justice and police brutality and just the more famous deaths we've seen this year as regards to, you know, George Floyd recently with Jacob Blake, um, Breonna Taylor. Just talk about your thoughts on everything you've seen this year from like from your perspective. Like, see, the thing is, like, people are focusing on this year and they understand this has been going on for centuries or decades, man. Like, the violence against against Black people, violence against women of color, violence against Indigenous people. You know, like, it's been going on. This year, it's been magnified because of COVID. You know what I mean? People are in their houses watching their TVs. And when when uh, when George Floyd was murdered... We were all on lockdown. So that was all, that was like, that was the news. Everyone was like, oh my God, this is horrible. How, how could this happen? This is everyday life for people like you and me, Tejan. You know what I mean? Like, for example, Toronto police, they car people. They can, they can, they can just see you walking down the street, pull you over and say, give me your ID. Let me see and run your ID. No, that's happened to me and some of my friends before. We just walking down the street and the cop car pulls up. Where are you guys going? Let me see your IDs. They run your name to the database. You're good. You're, you don't have any charges. You're good to go. You know, like, why? We're just minding our own business. And the thing with George Floyd that really pissed me off is that, like, we were like, how can this happen? You know, you know, the system is corrupt. You know, the system disproportionately targets black people in Canada, indigenous people. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not nothing any, that's not nothing new. But people are so shocked. It's like, this has been going on forever. You know, I'm glad that finally something is happening and you're seeing protests and, you know, the mantra policy changes is happening now. But you got to understand, like, people of color, especially black people and indigenous people, have been living this for centuries, for decades. It's not nothing new to them. You know what I mean? Like, you grow discrimination. You know, we, we grow up. We don't trust cops. I don't trust cops. You don't trust. Like, you know, if I see a cop car coming by, I'm not like, I don't feel safe. I feel scared. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, I want I want, I want to touch on that too. Because to I remember, like that. Yeah, like, my brother says the same thing. Like, even, like, my brother's almost 30 years old. Like, if he sees a cop car, he tells me, like, he still gets nervous. Yeah, and that's with a clean driving record. Assurance is proper, but like as soon as you see police sirens behind you, like, like you're, you're scared. You're like, oh scared. my god, what's gonna happen? You know what I mean? Like people are so quick to judge you just on how you look. Race is such a thing where it, it's like I, I shouldn't have to be so conscious of everything I do when I'm walking around. You know, like I shouldn't have to feel like if I have my hoodie up and I'm walking down, like the thing I'm a thug. I, I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to be worry that like i i don't want to have my hoodie up or how how i talk to people in north bay like when i when i when i go out to to get my oil changed or whatever i wear my nipping stuff so they know that i'm a varsity athlete you know like i represent the university i'm not just you know when they see the logo they see you as the athlete they don't see the logo they just see some kind of hooligan or some thug that's that's their mindset and when george floyd happened like you were seeing people saying terrible things like oh yeah he deserved it for what he, he he paid with counterfeit money you might not even know it was counterfeit money you know what i mean just because someone did something and there's that whole story about he committed a felony earlier in his life because someone did something wrong 10 years ago they don't deserve to die for it you know what i mean that justification that people were using that he did something bad so he deserves to die is so wrong for me it was painful because like i know like fair skin you know i'm not i'm not dark skin so like there's people that have worse than me and i have friends that have had a worse experiences than I am you know what I mean like I shouldn't have to be cognizant of of what I wear you know what I mean I shouldn't have to try and alter those things so I seem safer to people because you don't know me I don't know you like I'm not I'm just trying to live my life I'm trying to mind my business I'm not I don't mean you any harm 
because you see me walking with hoodie uh, hoodie up and maybe my pants are set a little bit, you automatically think I'm some kind of thug. Like I'm just I'm just living my life. And I think the George Floyd thing really exposed a lot of people's opinions on on racism. People are are so quick to try and say that oh, I'm not racist, but there's no but in this situation. There's no there's no but. If you if you were to say I'm not racist, but but you're probably racist. You know what I mean? Like there's no there's no beating around the bush. There's no but. There's no if ands or buts. You do not discriminate against someone for their color of their skin, you know, or their gender or orientation. You know what I mean? And like like I said, like I was I was at the protest in North Bay for the George Floyd protest, and it was it was beautiful. You know, like all these people, and again, like it was mostly white people that were protesting in the name of George Floyd. But it's a different thing to do performative activism and actually try and create change in your in your community. You know what I mean? Like it's easy to post a black square and put hashtag BLM and then forget about it and then take it down two weeks later. But to actually care about black lives and, you know, you know, all that stuff is a completely different story. And I think, I think for me, the thing that really upset me is that a lot of people were doing this as a performative aspect. You know what I mean? You know, they're just saying it just to say it. So people wouldn't bug them for not saying it. And, and to me, like that shouldn't be a reasoning for saying you should want to do it because you actually care. You know what I mean? And you have to recognize that, there are oppressive systems in place that are harming people. You know, like at the protest, they were saying like, it's a black lives matter, not a, not an anti-police thing. I can't, you know, I can't come up here and start defending cops when I know that indigenous people are targeted more. You know what I mean? People that look like me are targeted. People that look like you are targeted more just because of how they look. Yeah. You could have good cops, but if the system is corrupt, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, the the system is failing, and that's what we have to recognize that it's okay to change. Just because something's worked before and didn't even work before, it, it was wrong before, doesn't mean we can't change it now. And I think now now is perfectly the time because COVID is COVID has exposed so much, so many flaws in our society. You know, there's a lack of uh, you know lack of care for lower class people. Um, healthcare is disproportionate. You know, law enforcement is disproportionate. Education is disproportionate. And I think now we have the chance. To really, because now we can see the stuff, and now we have the chance to change it. And if we don't change it now, we never will. The way the system operates is so systemically flawed, from the highest levels of government, you know, federally to the municipal levels. And like I said, n- now we have we have all the people who are willing to do change. So why don't why can't we change it? You know, we need to change it. We need to do better for our black people, for our indigenous people for our brown people, for our Hispanic people, they deserve better. You know what I mean? This Canada is supposed to be this beacon of diversity for the world. We're a diverse country. We accept everybody. You know, I guarantee you go to certain places, you ask people, do you feel accepted? No, they'll say no. They say, I feel judged. You know, and I think now's the time more than ever. We can make change. You know, we can, we're the generation to actually do it. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to adjust so I can help make this world a better place for, for, for my friends, my family. You know what I mean? So that's just, that's my, that's my thoughts on that. We have to be able to make a change and we have the power to as youth. You know what I mean? And I think, I think change starts with children. You know, the minute we can, we can teach children that, you know, to value, you know, not to say, you know, to value the differences in each other. You know what I mean? Not to look down on differences, to accept, be more welcoming and provide services that are say, it's okay to be who you are and accept who you are and accept others. We can change because once kids understand that, they'll grow up and they'll teach their kids and the next generation. 
know what I mean? Like hate is something that is teached. You know, you're not born racist. You know, you're not born sexist. You know, you're not born, you know, misogynistic. You're taught these ideals as society. So as people in our age, as we're entering the workforce and we're entering education, healthcare, and all these professions, if we can educate the younger generations to eradicate that kind of hate and that kind of stigmatized, judgmental-based system, that can only benefit society. And I think the real change starts with us. There's something that you said earlier that I really want to touch on, the word but. I feel like the word but has an absolutely contradictive connotation. Like, I'll give an example. I'm not racist, but. Black Lives Matter, but. George Floyd got murdered, but. Like, there was always these people trying to justify these things with the word but. Like you said, there's no but in the situation. Like, there's no... 100%. I think but is a word used to... People can say it so they can say their own opinions. You know what I mean? Like, George Floyd, you know, like, just for George Floyd, but he did do this 10 years ago. He did something 10 years ago. He served the time. He's trying to change his life. He deserved to have his neck kneeled on for eight minutes, suffocated, and dead. He deserved that, really? There's no but. You know what I mean? Like, I support equal rights, but I think Black Lives Matter is this and that. There's no but. There's no but in a situation when it comes to race. You know what I mean? There is no but. Equality. Yes, there is no buts when it comes to that. You know, I support, you know, I support uh, all, you know, I support Black Lives Matter, but, but what about black on black crime? Okay, what about white on white crime? What about this and this crime? Like crime happens. Right. It's crime is crime is more crime is more an indicative of a failed society because people wouldn't resort to crime if there was opportunity for them. And I know like a lot of people, they resort to whether it's selling drugs or some of that because they have no other choice. They're they're from such the government does not provide enough for them to get by on their own. You know, whether it's employment opportunities or, you know, the welfare program is terrible. And these these are government made problems. So people feel like they have no choice. You know what I mean? It's either I go, I move that brick or we starve. You know what I mean? No one does terrible things because they like it. They do it because they do things because they have to survive for their families. And like I said, like, it's not like the government doesn't have, like we saw in COVID, you know, like you got served, you, you, you're able to pay people. And yes, it costs you as a government, but is it not better to protect, to take care of your society and your citizens than your own well-being? You know, like you have all these people that are worth like millions of dollars and they're dodging taxes. Like as when you have that money, you should not want to help your society. You should not want to give back. There's a, there's a very deep societal problem that comes from that we're, we're greed stems from insecurities and the need to feel better about yourself at the expense of other people. And that transitions into every part of society and, and even government into a certain, in certain points. You know what I mean? Like you have the, the elite up here and you have the poor down here and there's no room for the poor to climb up or very limited room for the poor to climb up. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a much deeper conversation than the one we're having right now to, to have this conversation on, but it's a, there's a lot of societal problems that stem from uh, inequalities and, and that force people to resort to drastic measures that in that in turn reinforce stereotypes of these people. And this could all be prevented if, you know, people were willing to, to sacrifice more for the benefit of society. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a large conversation to have, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's one worth having, you know what I mean? Devin, I want your input on this, but Jason, I want to ask you first, because I want to bring you back into this conversation. I want to hear from your perspective. Why do you think it took so long for people to finally see now 
all the things that has been going on, like deficit over centuries, like the police brutality, the problem of race. Like, why do you think it took to 2020 for people to finally see what's going on? And I want to hear from your perspective. Honestly, I think it goes back to ignorance. Like, it's simple as just ignorance, man. There's so many people out there that are just ignorant, corruption, like we were, you're talking about, you know, even the government, for instance, not helping. It, it's It's been there. People see it. They're just turning their eyes to it. And it, it's literally just ignorance. And it's something, again, it infuriates me because I don't know why people wouldn't be willing to want to learn, like, better society as a whole, better culture, but it, it's ignorance. I don't even, like, myself, I was raised in a, you know, good you know, I was educated well on a lot of this stuff from my parents. You know, my parents both lived in communities that were not really white dominant. So um, it's my whole childhood. I've been around it. I've been exposed to it. So I, but again, I've seen, I've seen the negatives and I've, I've had to drop some friends too, because well, I won't even call them friends anymore because they were ignorant. They weren't willing to learn. They were just, yeah. you know, and I think we all benefit of playing sports. You know, sports is is the great equalizer. You know, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, and there's still there's still racism in sports, like especially in soccer, it's it's bad in, in Europe and all stuff. But like when you're playing sports, you know, like you don't care if someone's white, black, brown, yellow, whatever. You just want to play sport. You just want to play and and have fun. So I think sports is definitely a a, a motive or not a motive, a method where uh, race doesn't really matter. You know, you you recognize that. You're just a bunch of guys working together for a cause. And I think, um, you know, like, again, like you said, Jason, there's a lot of ignorant people out there. And, you know, sometimes it's it's not their fault. But at the same time, if you have access to a computer, you can, you know, an internet access. And not, like people, not everyone does. I, I, I get that. But most people do. It's so easy for you to, you know, research or pick up a book and read about the history because the history is there. It's, it's, it's not like the history is hidden. You know, I mean, like they they write about it, they write about slavery, and and I know, and from a Canadian perspective, a lot of Indigenous history has been erased and has been hidden. A lot of the horrors Indigenous people went through, and that's uh that's tough, but that's starting to come out now as well. So the information is there. In 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 the age of technology and internet, there is no excuse for ignorance because all the information is out there. It's all out there. You know, like if you have access to a computer, and like I said. You you have a TV. You're you're seeing the news. You're seeing all the stuff. It is very it's it's a lot harder to ignore that stuff than it is to go online and just search up you know black rights history movements or indigenous history and see the horrors and the atrocities that were, that were committed against people of color. And it's uh, I I I understand there's people that that were ignorant, but when you have the access the material to help with that ignorance, you, you can't catch that as an excuse. I mean, the common saying is, is ignorance is bliss, but it, it can't be bliss at a time like this because as a, like, you have your feelings and emotions and your emotions tell you when something's wrong. You know, I think everyone, when they saw the video of George Floyd or you know, heard of a Breonna Taylor story, it made you sick to your stomach. You know what I mean? Like you're thinking like, there's no way they can try and justify breaking in this woman's house and shooting, shooting her dead. There's no way. But yet they, they did it. And people were like, okay, if they justify it, I can try and justify it myself. And it's like, but you know, deep down, you know, it's wrong. So do your own research, find your information because it's out there and you'll learn. And, you know, like you talk to so many people who are just uneducated about the issues and they're making up facts or they, they, something they saw on Facebook, they quote. And it's like, 
nah, man, like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta want to be better than that. You know what I mean? You can't be taking the easy way out. And too many people, when it comes to the tough conversations, take the easy way out. That's another negative side of the media too, because it's like, again, it's, uh, the biggest one that I, I found this was was with uh, the Trump rally that was that's going on in the states. There's those guys that are going around and trolling the people at them, yeah. you know, like asking them facts, and they're just pulling stuff out of their out there, yeah. You know, and it's like the, the you know there's one one that I saw with about the COVID even that was like uh, for wave vibrations or whatever, and her friend was like, yeah, I taught her that. Well, it's like where you you're gonna see one thing online you're not gonna go research to back it you're just gonna yeah. literally like i could go tell you you know grass is blue and the sky is purple and you're gonna believe it just because i told you that right like, it makes zero sense go do your research don't just listen to people like anybody well, can be feeding you horse exactly crap. and the thing is that a lot of people they get their information from social media and we live in an age where followers dictate truth you know if you have 11,000 followers and you say something and you know, you have, you have a platform. It doesn't matter if it's true or false. People are going to believe you because you have a certain following. You know what I mean? Like, that's why it's, it's a dangerous game. You have celebrities that have millions of followers tweeting things like COVID is fake. People are going to believe them because they have that platform. And I think social media is a very dangerous game because once you give someone an audience and a steady audience, any fact can become truth. And it becomes a lot harder to, 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 to differentiate between a truth and a lie. You know, you could have someone say, oh, they're putting this in the vaccine and it could be completely untrue. And they have a million followers. They'll believe that. They'll spread that out. And then it becomes the lie slowly becomes truth. And we live in an age where I could say, like you said, Jason, you could say the grass is blue. And, you know, you could tweet a picture where you, where you edited it to grass be blue. You have a million followers. They'll, they'll look outside. Their grass is green. But no, they'll say grass is blue. Because he said it and he has the followers to back it up. And that's just, that's where we have a, a duty to society as people that, you know, like to, to call people out. And, and again, it, it's about getting over the fact that if you call someone out, they might not like you and they might have something bad to say about you, but you know that you're doing the right thing. You're, you're doing the, you're, you're, you're telling the truth. And I think we, uh, we have to get over the fact that we might not be liked by everybody. You have to be okay with not being liked by everybody. Um, in order to, to benefit other people because you know any any movement it never started off easy you know what i mean martin luther king got assassinated you know rosa parks you know thrown off the bus it never started easy but that one you know standing up can you know create like a snowball effect you know you, you stand up someone else stands up and gets bigger and bigger and the movement gets bigger and then you know all it takes is one person as cliche as it sounds it literally all it takes is one person to make a difference and it's the same thing true also with making a difference. It's also that, that one person can also, you know, give out the story and like just I'll say this too, like like you said about the social media stuff. Sometimes the repetition of lies, something of some people start to believe it. So if a lie is repeated constantly, people start to believe it. That's the downside mm-hmm. of social media. It can be about anything. Like when the repetition of a lie is consistently repeated and talked yeah. about and spread, people start to believe it. So how do you navigate that in the world of social media today when you keep seeing this repetition of a lie and people start to believe it? Again, I think it's it's easier, you know, like we're all guilty of it. When I'm writing a paper, you research, you know, like say your topic, like for me, my topic is, you know, I had a history paper. My topic is like the Battle of the Somme or World War One, And I go on Google Scholar and I type in Battle of the Somme and I click the first source and that's what I use. It's very easy to see the first thing that you see Click on that, and that's your source. 
it takes more effort to scroll down and get get more sources and more information. And a lot of people, because the world we live in, it's it's a constant back and forth of I'm right, no, you know, you're right, no, I'm right, no, you're right, back and forth. The first you see, that's your ammunition. You take the first thing you see, you, you put it in the clip, you load it, and you shoot it out. That's the first thing you see without even really analyzing it. So I think um, the best thing to do is to slow down and check more sources. You know what I mean? Read more articles, read, read more uh, more papers, more books, and build your fact base up. Because the minute it becomes reactionary and you're you're, you're shooting off the hip, you know, someone's something to you, and all you do is you go on Google and you type in something, and you see the first thing, and that's what you use. You're not doing your due diligence. You're just perpetuating the cycle of back and forth without actually fact checking. So I think we have to stop that reactionary, our, re- our reactionary instinct, and actually take a second and look over everything and, and read different things. And then we can start responding to people. Like I said, it's, easy, it's yeah. easy to be wrong, but a lot of the time is you have to be able to accept that you're wrong. And if you can't accept that you're wrong, you made a mistake, you're not, you're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? And again, it, it, it's not as easy as that. I can, I, it's easier said than done. Like I know for, for me personally, you know, I've said things, I've done things where I've been wrong and I didn't want to accept it. You know what I mean? And then, because of that, you, you destroy bridges or, you know, or you destroy relationships. But I think especially these last few months where I realized that I need to take accountability and check myself that I've been, been willing to admit to my mistakes and say, Hey, look, I know I made a mistake. It's my fault. It's no one else's. I'm trying to be better. And I think if that's a very basic first step, and I think everyone took that first step, just being able to admit I messed up. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Let me try and make it better. It'd be a better place where instead of saying, I didn't mess up. That's your fault. Screw that. I did what I had to do. You know, it's reactionary. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, keep our guard up. That that's what, that's what keeps uh, the cycle perpetuated uh, is, you know, trying to dodge responsibility. If the, if, if the cop that, that, that killed George Floyd had come out and said, I made a terrible mistake. I was wrong. I killed an innocent man. You know, like I deserve what's coming to me. No one would argue with him. But the fact that he didn't say anything, kept his silence, people are trying to bail him out of jail. He looks, he looks even, it looks even guiltier, you know, like it looks even worse because this, this guy that everyone can see what he did was wrong. You don't kneel on someone's neck for eight minutes. That's wrong. And he's not coming out and saying that he made a mistake. As a, you, you should be able, you know, like it's, it's obvious to everyone else and you like a clown because you're not admitting to your mistake. And I think a lot of people live their lives where they know they made a mistake and they don't want to admit it. And then they usually end up looking foolish. You know what I mean? The only time I think in the case of the Minneapolis police department, there was, there was one case where like a police shooting, the guy was actually charged and the cop was black. You don't see the problem there. Like I, I, I personally don't want to get rid of the police. I think they're still needed in certain areas with like violent crimes. You still need police, but put more money into funding mental health services into funding child and youth services into funding, you know, addiction services, because you can't rely on, on cops to be everything. Mm-hmm. You can't, mm-hmm. you have to put money into mental health services, into addiction services, child and youth services, because that's, what's going to help these. That's going to help people that need it. Cops aren't going to help people that need it, that need help. It's going to be mental health services, addiction services, and child services. You know, that's what we need to do, focus on. When people can actually get the help they need, change is inevitable. But the minute you put a mentally unstable man in a room with a guy and a gun, 
it's only going to end one way. And that's a matter of fact. So I, I, people that have a problem with saying defund the police, I won't understand them because there's no, there's no argument there. Like what you've been hearing so far? Make sure to follow us on IG at Lakers Locker Room and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, where you can find clips of all our episodes and video content associated with the podcast. Part two of the Lakers Locker Room starts now. I want to switch it back on to you personally. Um, I know we've talked about this off mic a little bit, but unfortunately you've had your own issues with racism and situations. So just talk about that. Yeah, man. Like it was me, Tyrell, Achu, and our... And uh, Gio, my roommate, who's his first year, like if, if, like Gio, like he's he's through his life, he's from Haiti, he's been through a lot, like a lot of tough times. So for him to finish his first semester at university, we were like, man, we're all proud of you. So look, we're gonna take you out to eat dinner. So we take him to to Wacky Wings, and the minute we walk in, it's four of us, and like you know, we're all you know, colored guys, you know, and, you know, like we, we're wearing it's cold, so we're wearing like sweatpants and hoodies and stuff like that. We walk in, the entire restaurant just stares at us, just like heads turn. We just turned staring at us. And we're like, yo, what? like, why is everyone staring? Oh, that's why they're staring. And, like, we get to our table, and, like, we, there's guys sitting across from us, these old white guys, just staring at us. And it's like, can we help you? You know? And it's like, it's just like, and that's something you just got to get used to as a, as, as a man of color is, like, people being uncomfortable with your presence. And it's wrong. It's not right. But, like, that's just how it is. You know, people are ignorant. You know, and a lot of times you can't change ignorance. That's the that's the truth of the matter. Growing like a, as a kid, you're not too cognizant of your race because, like I said, like playing soccer growing up, it was it was everybody. There was there was white kids, there was Asian kids, there was black kids, there was brown kids, and like being being Caribbean, you know, you're just a mix of everything. You know what I mean? Like you you grow up in, in different kinds of environments. You don't really recognize your race, and then as you get a little older, you realize certain things that you're like, wait, is this because I'm different? You know what I mean? And it's like, like, I, like, I remember, you know, like me and my friends being on the subway and, you know, you get some, you get some guy coming on yelling the N word at you. And you're like, this guy's just some crazy, some crazy old drunk cat. But then, you know, it's little things where like, you know, I'm walking down the street, I'm walking on the sidewalk, just walking home from school. And there's a, a mom and her kid walking and I wave to the kid and the kid waves back and the mom grabs the kid, pulls her purse up and walks to the other side of the road. And you're like, I just wave, like I didn't do nothing. You know what I mean? but it's because of how you appear like when we're at when we're at uh wacky wings and we walk in and everyone starts staring at us and you're like okay we're just here to get wings you know what i mean and i'm fortunate my experiences have been you know they haven't been too outright but my parents have had bad experiences my parents moved into their into their into their house they're in right now someone spray painted on their fence they spray painted packy on their fence you know like and my dad's like i'm not even you know my dad's like i'm from Trinidad. i'm from guyana you know, people can't even get the racism right. But on the flip side of that coin, some of the other neighbors came together and helped my parents repaint their fence. In any situation that I found of, of racism, you know, there's always people that are willing to help. And I think we have to focus on the people that are willing to help and make the change and the people that are being racist because it is very rare you're going to have someone that hates black people and you can sit down with them and he'll change his opinion or her and she'll change her opinion. You know what I mean? It's very rare, but you'll have people, you know, that, you know, you have other white people that are willing to talk to these white people and change them because no offense. If it was a racist white guy and he's sitting across the hill from me and, you know, I got, I got on my tattoos and my chains and all that stuff. He's not going to listen to me. 
But if 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 Jason's across the table, I'm telling you, man, look, these are people just like us trying to live their lives. He might listen, and that's where I think white allyship comes into effect. You know, like it's it, it can't be a fight for just colored people. You know, it can't be a fight that just me and you fight, Tejan. We need help from white people as well. And that's just a matter of fact. And there are white people that are willing to help change the notion. You know, like you've had people that, uh, you know, you know, like that will stand up for you for when, when, when they see stuff that's wrong. And that's, that's amazing. And we need to, we need more people like that to help make the change. Cause like, I, I don't like, I don't like, you know, having to feel, feel judged when I walk into a place or I don't like having to wear my nipping stuff just so I feel validated as a human being, you know? I should be able to get my go get my oil change wearing a black hoodie and black sweatpants just because I'm a person. I shouldn't have to be, oh, he's an athlete. He's a nipsing athlete. You know, it shouldn't have to be that. It should be he's just a person trying to get by his life. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have to worry if I, I want to date someone, if are their parents gonna be judgmental of me based on my skin color. You know what I mean? That should not be a problem, but it is. You know, I know you and I when, when, when we walk into a room somewhere, we're very cognizant of our race and if we stand out like i feel that you know what i mean like when i'm driving home i don't like stopping in small towns to get gas because i don't want to walk in and people look at me you know weird i, I don't like that it makes me uncomfortable so like i said i've had numerous like experiences with racism and stuff like that and just subtle racism too you know what i mean like people don't like it's just it is what it is and you're like damn that guy really just say that you know what i mean like are you serious and it's like and the thing is that everyone's like, oh, like if, if everyone says like, oh, if you see it, like, you just like, why don't you say anything? And it's like, because when it happens, you're in shock. You know what I mean? Like someone's something to you, you're just like, did that really come out of your mouth? Or like, did they really just say that? Or did they really just do that? It's hard to like retort back instantly. And at the same time, like when me and my friend, like when, when we were at Wacky Wings, everyone's staring at us, I want, like, I was like, I want to get up and fight everybody. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, like, like hell are you looking at? You want to do something? Let's do it. But you can't because the minute you get aggressive, and you try and attack, you're the angry black guy. You're the angry colored guy. And you fit that stereotype. You just got to sit there and take it. You got to sit there and try and eat your food while people are staring at you weird, staring at you funny. You know, I remember a time where um, I was doing a coaching course for soccer. because so I'm trying to get my coaching license. And I was in, I was in New York. in some small town in New York. And it was me, another guy who was, he was black uh, and, uh, and a white guy. And we we're just trying to find a place to eat. And there was, a, there was like a restaurant. And you know, we could hear the music, and it sounded like it was live. And we, we, and our friend's white, and he walks in first. And when we and my and my other guy, Nate, um, light skin guy, we walk in, the music stops. Everyone just looks at us, and we're like, okay, we're gonna leave. And our white friend's like, why do you want to leave? What's wrong? And we're like, man, like, can't you tell? Like, we're clearly not welcome here. You know what I mean? And we're like, we shouldn't have to leave an establishment that we want to eat at. You know, we're trying to give you business, and you're like, get out of here because you're black, because you're brown. It's like, come on, man. And like, I'm sick of that stuff. And I'm sick of having people to experience that. And here's a here's another perspective that I also want to offer too. Um, and I'm going to tie this in with Jason in a moment. And I think you agree with me where I'm going with this, Devin. Every time I go on the street, this is my thought process. I'm black first, then I'm a person. See, yeah. in the society that we live in, because they're so predicated on color, because it's so predicated on stereotypes, I do not have the luxury to put black person together. I have to say I'm black first, then I'm a person. Like, especially, with, look, I'm taking myself, right? You know, I'm like six, five, right? People see me, this tall guy, 
black, right? They think, oh, they have all these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. When people get to know me, they see this well-spoken guy, very intelligent, very nice, very good. I wish that I didn't have to separate the word black and person or man. I wish I can say I'm a black person or I'm a black man. 100%. I'm, and this is where my time with Jason. Jason, you, like, I don't want to be put in the spot, but I, luckily you have the luck to say I'm a white man and that's it. For, mm-hmm. for me, when I say I'm a black person, I got to separate the two because mm-hmm. as soon as someone sees me, they almost say I'm black. Right. They see me, Jason, together, they say Jason's a white man. He's black. Yeah. Well, as a perspective, I don't even get to see from like myself because, like, you guys, you know, tell me this. Myself on a day to day basis, being a white man, you don't even think of it. You just think. You just exist. And it's, it's, it's literally same, exactly. It's the same as you know, like if you look at it from like a woman's perspective. You know what I mean? Like I can, you know, I I I walk home sometimes like at like three o'clock in the morning by myself, and you know, yeah, I'm cognizant. You know, like I'm a colored person, but I'm a man. I don't care. Women, they have to walk home with like, with their keys in between their fists. In case someone tries to assault them, you know what I mean. Like, there's you have to recognize your your privileges and your and your disadvantages in the world. Like, I'm privileged that my hair my hair is straight. I got straight hair. You know what I mean. My hair is not curly. I got cousins that have curly hair. Curly hair. They 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 look they look they look uh, more black than I am. So I have a privilege in that sense where I don't look as black as other people. And and that shouldn't be a privilege. You know what I mean. Like that's messed up. Where it's like I'm I'm grateful that I'm lighter. You know what I mean? Like my grandma's black. She's dark. My grandma's black. I used to not like being seen when I was a kid. I was scared to be seen in public with my grandma because you're taught that that's my society. That's like not, you know, you don't want to be that. You want to be white. You want to be light. You know what I mean? That's, that's messed up. I didn't like being seen my own grandma. That's my own personal issues. I've had to live with that my whole life because that's what you're taught in society. You know what I mean? Like, and these are people that have come over from different countries and they struggle just to try and get by and they're being judged constantly on a day-to-day basis, pretty on the color of your skin. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just, it's sad. And Tejan's right. Like you have to like, when I leave that, like I said, when I leave the house, if I'm going somewhere in North Bay, I wear my nipping stuff. So people like, they know, you know what I mean? Like they know, like I'm an, I am a varsity athlete. I represent the university. I'm not just some random, you know, random black man, random brown man, random colored person. You know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to think before I leave the house, how am I dressed? Do I look presentable? If I want to leave the house in baggy sweatpants and a baggy hoodie and some J's, I, it should be fine. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have to feel like scared to be on my own dressed like that because people are going to look at me. You know what I mean? And when, when I first moved to North Bay, my ro- my roommate, who was older guy, Kelly from Sierra Leone, he told me that. He goes, just wear your nipping gear. It's easier when you walk around town. And I was like, that's messed up. We shouldn't be like that. You know what I mean? You know, one of the biggest things that's like irked me and that I've kind of like just from this conversation that I've learned is, so I have some, I'll say this. I have some friends that, you know, they may have a criminal background. I'll be driving around with them and stuff. They'll see a cop car and they're scared. Okay. Criminal. You guys, normal people, you have no criminal background, amazing people. And for you guys to feel the same way as a criminal, mm-hmm. That is brutal. And for you guys to have done nothing, that just, that just, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, That's it's, brutal. Because like I said, the, we, what you see on cop cars is to serve and protect. I feel protected when I see a cop, like when I see a cop driving by, I'm like, oh crap. I know I have done nothing wrong. You no, know what right. I mean? I have done nothing wrong. I'm just driving. And I'm like, oh my God, like, don't like, please don't look at me. Like, I'm like, I am scared. 
You know what I mean? Like it, and it's you should not you should not have to feel like that. You know what I mean? And one of my my roommate, one of uh, he's from he's from he's from India, and he was uh his first winter living with us. He told me he came home and he's like, man, like something weird happened. I'm like, what? He's like, I was talking with my other friend, and some guy drove past and yelled us to go back to where we came from. And he's like, why is he why is he saying that? And I was like, I don't like how do you how do you explain that to someone? You know what I mean? Like you you can't. And that's just you know that's like people got to deal with that on every on an everyday life you know what i mean and then there, there's a I, you know there, there's a line and like a that i was thinking about isn't a j cole song where it's like they teach us to hate ourselves and to love their wealth you know what i mean as 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 young men, we're taught that our skin has no value but we want to achieve the money that the white man has you know what i mean you want to be rich but you know rich or rich or poor you know at the end of the day you're still black the, the, the people you know like Cops still pull over rich black guys, poor black guys, you know, they get shot all the same. We think we think wealth, a certain amount of wealth will be able to lift us out of our race, but the truth is we can never escape our race. And that's a matter of fact. It doesn't matter how rich you are, you know, what you got, people still see you as black, as Hispanic, as brown. And that's the problem. It should, it should, it should be that. And we shouldn't have to feel like the only way we can achieve validation as a human being is through achieving wealth. You know, you know, think of how sick that is. You think that you will not be validated as a human being unless you have money. Mm-hmm. That is so messed up because that's not true. You could have so much more to offer than just money. You know, like Tejan, like you, you can be a good person. You can, you can work with kids. You can be a, a mental health crisis, uh, a crisis counselor, but they still want to see you as black. There's that guy in the States where he was literally with his autistic patient and the cop shot him with his patient. He's trying to help this kid. You know what I mean? Like, and then they, the system is so flawed and so corrupted, it's going to take a huge o- overhaul for it to change. Because right now, people, the way that the, the, the current climate is, people don't, they don't care. They just see black, white, brown. That's all they see. And again, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's the truth. And until we got to keep fighting to change that, because otherwise people are going to keep dying. And that's the matter of fact, people are going to keep dying. Yeah, it's just, yeah, like, it's just so hard because, like, like you said about the wealth, like, it's that it's so true. But the only way that, I guess, black people can really, you know, again, be comfortable in a way is if they have wealth or in some way they're a public figure. Yeah. So for example, like, LeBron is a inner city kid from Akron, Ohio, you know, a single mom, grew up with nothing. You know, he probably dealt with some situations in his upbringing. Now he's his public figure. Everybody loves him. Yeah. Right. There's so many other people that do amazing, great things in the community, but because they're not a public figure and because they're not wealthy, they're still looked upon as black and they have the stereotype. But again, you, you can be you can be a, a, a huge, big successful NBA player. I forget who it was. He played for the Bucks, and he got pulled a multimillionaire. Sir, Sir NBA yeah. And, and he and he, got, he gets pulled over by the cops and they're and you know, they're they're treating him like just some like my, my point is like. Wealth doesn't matter. We shouldn't think that wealth will validate us. That it, it shouldn't have to come to that. It shouldn't have to be we're wealthy or we're a public figure to feel validation. You should feel validation in the fact that you're a human being. You are enough as a human being. You are a person. You have feelings. You have emotions. You should be allowed to express them to be yourself. You shouldn't feel trapped in this box where I have to be, I have to fit a certain definition of, of masculinity. I have to fit a certain standard of wealth, you know, to, to be validated. You know, we, we're told as kids that 
to make to be successful in life means to be rich. That's what I told his kids. You know what I mean? When you're rich, you're successful. That couldn't be further from the truth. You know what I mean? Wealth has nothing to do with success. You know what I mean? You can be the wealthiest man in the world and be freaking miserable. You know what I mean? And hate your life. We should not be teaching kids that validation will come from wealth. And, you know, like that's that's wrong. And, and we need to adjust that because that ties into notions of class, race, sex, all in relation to wealth. Whereas, you know what I mean? Like that's wrong. That's so wrong. And I think it, it's, again, it change comes from education. It's going to have to take people getting to education and we're going to challenge the system in order for us to create real concrete change. Because like I said, even, I, get, I bet even LeBron, LeBron probably still has to experience racism in his everyday life. He definitely still has to experience racism in his everyday life. It doesn't matter that he's LeBron James. He's still getting, you know, DMs from people calling him all kinds of racist names, stuff like that. And it doesn't matter that he's LeBron James. They don't see that. They just see another black guy. And his wealth, his position as a as a as the best basketball player of all time, debatably. That's for you guys to discuss. That's not for me. That's what I hear that LeBron's the best of all time. But um he still has to face these notions of race. People are telling LeBron, shut up and dribble. Just shut up and dribble. Why? His wealth his wealth doesn't change that they're saying that. His position isn't saying they're changing that. To them, he's just a source of entertainment. That's his job. You entertain us. Right. I want to end this segment off by asking this thought-provoking question. I want both of you guys to answer this. What are some things that you think need to happen to help resolve the, this issue as it pertains to race, systemic racism, police brutality, et cetera? Like, what do you think needs to happen to try to help resolve this issue? Jason, you can go first. Well, from, it depends if you're going top-down or bottom-down. If you're going to go from society or government. From society perspective, it's stop being ignorant and educate yourself. And from the top, it's, again, stop turning an eye, um, educate properly, stop hiding stuff, and rebuild the corruption that's happened from centuries ago because at every level of, you know, I, I can't even pick, every industry has corruption in it, and it, it, it's all gone back from centuries ago. So culture needs to change. Uh, we basically need a reset. Like, to answer the question, man, like, what needs to, like, there's, there's just so much, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, it, it almost feels like it's like, where do we start? But again, you can start, <laughs> you can start at the very, the very basics level. You know what I mean? Like protests, protests are a great way to start protest. Uh, you know, things that happen that are wrong. You know what I mean? You know, police, police brutality, you know, government policy that, uh, that targets people. You know what I mean? As long as, as long as we have, a, we're, we're fortunate to live in a society that is democratic. Where we're not, you know, we, we're not, if we speak out, we won't get killed. We have a right to speak out. We need to exercise that right as much as possible. If we're in the streets, we're talking, we're making noise, we can, we, we can affect everything. You know, we can make a lot of good change. Um, so yeah, we just gotta use our, use our, use our, our right to speech. And then once we get educated, we need more people like us in government positions, uh, education positions, healthcare positions. And once we have people in the positions that are well educated, we can make change. You know what I mean? But again, it's it's a it's a it's a very big problem. But you gotta start somewhere. You start small, work your way up. I think the simplest way to answer that question is just in the basis is to be educated. I think if you, and this is the thing I've consistently said, if people know everything that's going on, people have like the basis of education and knowledge to know what's going on, then they can help and they can contribute in some type of way. 
small or big. Mm. Like the reason why I'm doing this podcast and the reason why I picked Jason to be my co-partner in this podcast is because I want to give a platform for people to come on like yourself, Devin, to educate people. I wanted people to have an opportunity to hear different perspectives and have different opinions and maybe something that they disagreed with and they can hear the other side and see why people feel that way. Mm-hmm. So I think in, with everything that we've talked about today, the most simplest way to resolve this issue is just to have as much education as you possibly can so that you can contribute in some type of way. Because at this point, even the smallest thing can make the biggest difference. Exactly. exactly. And that's all that takes. And I think, I think education is, is huge. Like for me growing up, like from when I was two years old to grade six, I went to a Montessori school and that's a completely different style of learning than public education. So I had that Montessori education and then I had public school education. So I got both sides. I got to see everything. And that really shaped my views. And like at the same time, I, I had the athletic side of things and I had the artistic side, you know, where I'm the athlete, but I also like, I also like to write. I also like to, to read, I like to, I like to analyze art, like that stuff interests me. And you get to, you see different sides of your perspective. And I think what you have multiple perspectives on different things that you can take your life experiences and post it together, you can make change. And like, I go back and I still work at that Montessori school and I still talk to kids. And like my biggest, I like my biggest goal in life is to help children. And I feel like if you can make a difference in one kid's life, that one kid can go on and change so much you know what i mean if you can be a positive influence on a, on a child's life there's no telling what that child can do and, and i want to give kids the things that i never had growing up you know i when i grew up talking about mental health was something that was like it was like taboo you were supposed to talk about it i want to change that notion i want to challenge the stigma that it's not okay for men to talk about mental health it is more than okay for men to talk about your mental health to open up to be vulnerable to express emotions that's more than okay and I'm, and you know, like I had to learn that the hard way. I had to go through a lot and it wasn't for my friends. You know, I had some pretty low points. It wasn't my friends saying, Devin, you got to go talk to someone. If you don't go, we're going to, we're going to sign you up. Who knows what would have happened to me, but I had friends that helped me there and, and helped that cycle. And I think ed- again, like it's all down to education. The minute you help educate, educating children, they will, they will, they will see that stuff and they will go and change on their own and they will help others change. That's the beauty of children. You know what I mean? They're such like, it's such a, the way children think are different to adults. They're not jaded by the world. You know what I mean? And if you can, if you can make the right impression on children, you can, you can do a lot of positive things in this world. That's a lot, a lot of positive things. Yeah. Anyways, Devin, thank you so much for taking the time with us today to talk with us. We had a lot of fun conversations. I think, I think it's safe to say that me and Jason both learned a lot. (laughs) 100% man, seriously. No worries, man. I love, love talking to you guys. I mean, when, when you guys are back in the Bay, we got to do this again in person or something like that, you know? 100%. Yeah. 100%. For yeah. sure. I really, I really hope that listening to this episode today, people could really take something from it and learn something from it. Because there's always something to learn. Mm-hmm. And like I said, hey, the, the smallest thing can make the biggest difference. Like I said, like I want, I want like my main message from the episode is to be, in, and like we talked a lot about mental health. I want to be okay with people knowing that it's okay to discuss these kind of topics. You know what I mean? Like it's okay to talk about your health and it's okay to open up and confide in people because, uh, you know, in life, all we have are the connections we make. And if the connections you make are weak connections, you're going to look back in your life and be like, man, like I wish, I wish I, you know, I gave that person more or they gave me more. So like, if you have a friendship, you better give it your all. And that means opening up being vulnerable. You know what I mean? 
and because because I I know people your friends care about you and you care about your friends, so you know you gotta you, you gotta you gotta give someone everything and you know it it only benefits you in the long run. You know what I mean? Right. But before we let you go, we're gonna have some fun here. I love that some fun, man. That's some fun. <laughs> so we're introducing a, so we're introducing a new segment to the show called Quick Hitters. So this is the part of the show where we ask the guests a question and they have to answer as fast as possible. So oh Jason, you have the questions ready? I do. Devin, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, man. So hit me with them. All right, we're going to cue the music. All right, <laughs> Yo, music for this joint. Let's go. Music for this joint. Damn. All right. All right, go. Devin. First, first question. The first section is be music. Who's your favorite artist? Uh, the Neighborhood is a band. I got, I get, that's, that's tough, man. I got some favorite artists, but I'll go, I'll go The Neighborhood. That's my favorite band right now. So, um, one song that's on repeat the most right now. Or artist. Ooh. Take It to the O by King Von. That's on repeat right now for me. <laughs> that or, that or R.I.P. to my youth by The Neighborhood, man. I'm like, mm. <laughs> all time, all time favorite album. All time favorite album. Damn, yo, that's tough. Uh you know, I'm gonna go classic and say, uh, "Thank Me Later" by Drake. That song, that's some banger. Find your love, miss me, oh, yo, that's that yeah. some bangers on it. That's what first really got me into music was that album. Now this one is uh, what? What is the biggest banger of 2020? Like. That has been dropped this year. Damn, I don't even like, yo, like, probably um, I get that's that, that's yeah, you guys are really answering the the, the hard hitting questions. Um, I don't know, probably some, probably some pop smoke or something like that. Someone, I, I, I can't even think of one song. That's like, I can't even think. Of, I can't think of one song, man. That's n- next question. Next question. Okay, I want just been popping off this year. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> I want both of you guys to answer this one. Top five songs of the year. Your personal top five songs of the year. My personal top five songs of the year. The top five. My top five are all little baby tracks. Like I, I don't. He just yeah. went off this year. He just he went crazy. <laughs> my top five. Oh, my top five is like. We'll go, we'll go first. It's like it's like all it's like all Machine Gun Kelly in the neighborhood, man. Machine Gun Kelly had a had a banger of an album. Yeah, that album was. I was all summer I was listening to Machine Gun Kelly. My music taste is all over the place, man. Like I like everything. Like like my top five artists, I think of the year were it was like Machine Gun Kelly, The Neighborhood, Lil Uzi, Blink One Eighty Two, and Lil Baby. So like it was all over the place, you know what I mean? Like I, my music taste is everywhere. Yeah, no country Just, though, huh? Better no, not be any country music. Nah, I mean, every now and then you get a little Morgan Wallen in there, but that's about that's about it. You live in the North Bay. What do you live in the North Bay? What do you expect? Like, <laughs> Jason, your top, your, Jason, your top five songs of the year. Oh, I'll actually pull up the ones that I played the most. Um, Something to prove, little baby. Whoa, big drip. You know, featuring Lil Baby has to be the remix. Grace, Lil Baby, Heating Up, Lil Baby, The Bigger Picture, Lil Baby. Number five, I got Rockstar by The Baby featuring Roddy Rich. Number four, I got The Box. Number three, I'm probably going to get Have What's Poppin' by Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow, yeah. Number two, I'm probably going to have Something to Prove. And my, my, yeah, my number one song. 
It's the toss up, but I gotta go with emotionally scarred. But oh, like, that's what I just said emotionally scarred, bro. My dog, bro. <laughs> I just said I just said emotionally scarred, bro. I just said that a little baby. I was going between emotionally scarred. Time. That's, that's I was, it was emotionally scarred, and we paid. I was like, but we paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah nah, I feel that. I feel All that. Right. <laughs> All right, yeah, now we're gonna. Right, let's get into sports now. Favorite yes, athlete. Here we go. This is what this is what I came here for. Sports. Is, okay, let's, let's go. go. Favorite athlete. Well, interrupt before we get into favorite athlete. I have to ask this question right before we ask that. Not Messi yet. or Ronaldo? Uh, I'm a Messi guy, man. Messi does it. I got the jersey. I got the jersey right there. I don't know if y'all can see it. It's the number 10. The Messi <laughs> one right there, man. Messi does. He scores. He assists. He does it all, man. I, I love Messi. Ronaldo's a great too. Different kind of players, but Messi just does it all. So I'm right, taking Messi on this one. All right. Favorite athlete. My favorite athlete has to be uh, Sergio Ramos. He's a center back for Real Madrid. He's just a beast, man. Win, win by any necessary. I model my game after him. Tough tackling, winning every ball. So this one is kind of hard to explain, but like, what's the one team you like? It's kind of like your rival team, the one you dislike the most. Is oh, like, Queens, like- Queens. We hate Queens, and Queens hates us. Queens, <laughs> I can't stand Queens. If you could spend a day with an athlete dead or alive, who would it be? An athlete dead or alive? Honestly, I go with Sergio Ramos, man. That's my favorite athlete. I'd love to just pick his mind because he's won so much, and it's like, how do you, how do you win so much and still say, still stay so motivated to keep winning and keep performing? You know what I mean? You have some guys that they win everything and they just kind of drop off, but he's like won everything and just kept climbing. Like his career has been an upward peak. Him or him or Zlatan? Zlatan's another interesting guy. Ibrahimovic. Yeah, for me it's Kobe, man. Right, yeah, man. yeah, Kobe, Kobe. This, so it's fun. I'm kind of gonna make it into a two-part enough because I mean, yeah, I don't know much fall basketball, but uh, who do you have winning the uh, NBA championship? And then talk soccer. Who do you got winning? You know, I don't even know. There's so many different leagues. Yeah, uh, I mean M- NBA championship. Like, I think LA, I think LA, I think Lakers gonna win it, but um. And then for soccer, man, like we're talking leagues, like in terms of like club soccer, like the Champions League, my money's on Bayern Munich, man. Those Germans, they are a machine. Oh, they got Alfonso Davies, the Canadian kid, the left back. He's amazing. So I, I got, I got to say Bayern Munich, they're going to the Champions League, man. All right, let's 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 get into some funny questions now. Okay, and this one's gonna determine our friendship. Devin, yes. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? Nah. Not for me. Yes. Oh my god! Let's go! Oh my <laughs> god! Okay, this one, this is a crazy one. Tajon, you probably assume who does what. Okay. Do you put milk before your cereal or cereal before your milk? Cereal? Who puts milk before the cereal? <laughs> how do you know how much milk to put? Like, no, you, like how yeah. do you. How do you do your knife? Yo, this guy's a goof. This guy's a goof. He puts pineapple on his pizza, pulls the milk first. Yo, why? No, no, no. I'll even take a step further. You know what I do? Not only do I put milk before my cereal, I warm up my milk in the microwave. I know guys that warm up their milk in the microwave. I know guys that do that, but like, yeah, that's just like, why would you? Look, like, pineapple on pizza is just, it's just, it's just weird. Like, it's, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Like, why? Like, it's... That's just... Tell me, Tejan. Whatever. Next question. Next question. Next question. Xbox or PS4? PS4, man. Last show you binge-watched? Last show I I binge-watched was uh, Sons of Anarchy. 
Sons of Anarchy. That, that's that's a really good show. Actually, that's a good show. What's one skill you wish you could you were good at? One skill I wish I was good at. Um, I wish I was good at. Sometimes I think I think managing my emotions. Sometimes I think sometimes I can get a little too emotional, which is you know not the worst thing in the world, but it's not the best thing. You know, it can cause problems sometimes. So like no knowing, knowing when to to take a step back. I think I wish I was good at. Let's say we're in an alternate reality, okay? And this is a whole different Devin, okay? You're not playing soccer. What are you doing? I'm not playing soccer. What's what's uh, your other? Yeah. Nothing like sport wise or just anything wise. Anything like if you weren't dedicating, you know how that's your majority time you know, devoted to. What would be your other, you know, main focus? Probably art, man. I love I love art. Like you know, like painting, photography, writing stuff. Like like when I was a uh, like yeah, when I was in high school. Like I said, I my whole life was like like soccer. So I couldn't really focus myself on the arts, and I I love the arts, man. I think that's. You learn a lot from from writing and writing and watching films and all that stuff. So I'd say probably probably writing, man. I like I love to write. Yeah. Anyways, man, that's all the questions. So, Devin, thank you so much for coming, man. Oh, worried, guys, man. Thanks, for, thanks for having me on the show. Hopefully, we get to do this in person sometime. You know. But man, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate that. All right, that's a wrap on another episode of the Lakers Locker Room. I want to thank our guest, Devin Dunat, for joining us. You can find clips of this interview on YouTube and listen to the full intimate all podcast streaming platforms. Thank you, Devin. See you guys, man. See you. Good night.